Welcome to Flowcast. We have a wonderful program lined up for you. This is the first ever Ask Me Anything edition of Flowcast. We'll answer questions from our listeners. Helping me out today are sisters Judith Ann Haas, Margaret Schreiber, and Rose Miriam Schulte. And because this episode airs on Thanksgiving Day, the sisters will also share what they are grateful for. Our first question is one that stumped me. When I started working with the sisters, I assumed, as many people do, that the words sister and nun refer to the same group of people. As it turns out, they don't. Here to answer the question, what's the difference between a sister and a nun, is Sister Judith Ann Haas. Sister Judith Ann dedicated years of her religious life to educating youth as a teacher and school principal in elementary schools and high schools. She also spent many years teaching and accompanying seminarians. Thanks, Sister Judith Ann, for helping us out. So, what is the difference between a sister and a nun? Often, we use the term nun and sister interchangeably. In popular culture, the term nun is often more widely used, and it's understood to refer to women who have professed the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. However, within the Roman Catholic Church, there is a difference between the two. A Catholic nun is a woman who vows to dedicate her life to religious service, typically living under the solemn vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. A nun lives a contemplative life, that is a life of prayer, in a monastery, which is usually cloistered or semi-cloistered. Her ministry and her prayer life is centered within and around the monastery for the good of the world. She professes the perpetual solemn vows, living a life according to the evangelical counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Cloistered nuns observe enclosure rules, and their monasteries typically have a wall separating the nuns from the outside world, giving them privacy. The cloistered nuns rarely leave, except maybe for medical necessity or occasionally for some other purpose. They can receive visitors, and usually these are in um, specially built parlors. Often there is a grill or a screen separating the nuns from the visitors. They are usually self-sufficient. They receive donations, and they earn money by selling crafts, jams, candies, or baked goods by mail order or perhaps a small gift shop. Sometimes some of these communities make liturgical items such as vestments, candles, or hosts to be consecrated at Mass for Holy Communion. We Springfield Dominicans are really blessed to have Dominican nuns living in one of our buildings that is in Siena Hall. I have a friend with whom I attended grade school and high school. She entered the Poor Clares a cloistered community. When I and others visit her, we are in a room that is separated by a grill or a screen. We can see her, but we can't touch her or hug her. 
and if we were to bring her something, there's a turnstile on which we put the item and then turn it toward her so she can receive it. For a time, her ministry was to make altar breads, hosts that would be used at Mass. She also experimented in their cloistered garden, grafting one type of fruit tree onto another. A Catholic sister is a woman who lives, ministers, and prays within the world. Her life is often called active or apostolic because she's engaged in the works of mercy and other ministries that take the Gospels to people where they are. She professes perpetual, simple vows, living a life according to poverty, chastity, and obedience. She commits herself to Christ and to the Church. She lives in a religious community that is patterned on the life of the founder of the community, and in our case, St. Dominic. The work she generally does depends upon the particular community as influenced by the needs of the Church and its people, and it includes such ministries as pastoral, social service, education, hospital or medical work, youth, campus ministry, missionary. She, she might give retreats, conferences, spiritual direction, be involved in faith formation, or she may be involved in creative expression through music or the arts. She might work with the poor, the elderly, the broken, the oppressed and distressed, and immigrants. And we Springfield Dominicans are involved in most of these ministries. As you might have noticed, there is a difference in the type of vows. Nuns take solemn vows, sisters simple vows, that religious who profess a solemn vow of poverty renounce ownership of all their temporal goods, whereas religious who profess simple vows of poverty have a right to retain ownership of their, of their patrimony. And a patrimony could be an estate that they have, an endowment, or anything inherited from perhaps their parents or ancestors. We also asked Sister Judith Ann what she's grateful for. This is what she said. This year I'm especially grateful for the years I spent ministering in seminaries. I met and spoke with men from many cultures. One of the men was from Puerto Rico. He invited me to be the seminary representative at his ordination in Puerto Rico, so I was able to experience the culture firsthand. That was a real blessing, something I'm very grateful for. I'm also very grateful for having met seminarians who were of the Cyril Malabar rite. One of the seminarians was from India, and he did speak of his home often. The other seminarians who were of the Sarah Malabar Rite were from the Chicago area. I was able to experience their liturgy, which is called Holy Kurbana, and they invited me to be present for the, their ordination of subdeacon and then deacon at their cathedrals in Chicago. Another area 
for which I'm grateful in working with these men, was accompanying them as they discerned their call to priesthood. They shared many aspects of their life with me, and at some point each of them spoke of how unworthy he felt to be a priest. Spending four to six years with these men helped me to be grateful for God's call to each of them personally to be a priest. Sister Margaret Scheiber has a doctorate in sacred theology and a deep love for liturgical prayer. She is one of three sisters who have responsibility for the well-being of the senior members of the community who live at Sacred Heart Convent. We asked her to respond to a question often asked of the sisters. What is charism? I hear the sisters use that word a lot, so I'm ready to hear what Sister Margaret has to say. The term charism comes from a Greek word and means to bestow a gift or favor. And some familiar charisms are wisdom, understanding, pursuit of truth and happiness, holiness, fortitude, teaching and preaching. God gives charisms to individuals and to communities. And they're given for a lifetime of use or for a temporary time period, especially at a time of crisis. God freely gives charisms and an individual or community freely receives them or they reject them. The charism is for build, building the reign of God God gave and still gives individuals and founders of religious congregations charisms to continue to be a sign of God's presence and activity among us. There was a time in history that charisms were thought to be reserved to clergy and founders and members of religious orders. However, in the 1960s, during Vatican II, the Church reinterpreted the understanding of charisms in a way that the early Church understood it. Charisms are gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they are given to everyone. And the Holy Spirit is the one who distributes them among the faithful as they are needed. The charisms God gave to St. Dominic are Veritas, the pursuit of truth, and preaching the gospel in words and actions. And those charisms continue to be the responsibility of every member of the order. It is this pursuit of truth and preaching that animates and gives a unique charism to the order of preachers whose members are known as Dominicans. Charism is essential to the life of the church because it is the outpouring of the Spirit, the Spirit who reveals ever new ways of living, witnessing, and serving God. The authenticity of any charism is known by its fruits, that is, what becomes visible in the use of the charism. An authentic charism always points to God, not to the person with the charism. I want to highlight one charism that God gives all of us, and that is suffering. We all suffer in various ways and degrees. We don't often think about it, or even want to think about it, but suffering is a charism. It is a gift, and we cannot avoid it.
It's a gift to be invited to share in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. In truth, the charism of suffering is not an ending point, but a part of our journey to eternal life. Suffering is an opportunity to witness to God's saving work among us, and it's also an opportunity to participate in the effectiveness in our own life and the life of the church. Charisms are gifts. Persons are vessels for manifesting God's wondrous deeds among us. Using charisms is the responsibility, and it is also a spiritual energy for the manifestation of the reign of God among us. Those who use their charisms as a gift of the Spirit are persons who bestow blessings of joy, grace, and favor on everyone they encounter. Sister Margaret also talked about what she is grateful for during this season of gratitude. Gratitude. Well, I have a plaque in my bedroom that says, Choose Gratitude. And I've come to understand that gratitude is a conscious decision to be grateful. So reflecting on gratitude is, is a, has become a common practice in my life. But I also think my responses are pretty common, too. So at present, I think that as Thanksgiving's approaching and, uh, and I'm reflecting this month on being grateful for whatever I have, the things that keep coming to me are I'm grateful for my life, for my family, for my friends who love me and challenge me. I'm grateful for my faith that grounds me in God. I'm really grateful for the education I have that set me on a path of curiosity about life and prayer. And as I look around, I'm really grateful for the freedom to worship publicly. I love my Dominican life that fills me with joy and happiness. So I am daily, especially when we pray the Liturgy of the Hours, aware of how grateful I am for that. Presently, I am so grateful for the opportunity to minister at the Mother House. It has been a real grace, a real blessing, and it does fill me with gratitude for my Dominican life and for my sisters. And I'm also grateful for those with whom I engage in conversations that offer insights into ways that I can personally live better and be of greater service to God and others. So I think that's some of the things I'm grateful for today. Our final question has to do with the vows the sisters take. Here to help us out is Sister Rose Miriam Schulte. Sister Rose is on the leadership team for the sisters. She is wise with the wisdom that comes from accompanying others on their journey to wholeness. I'm delighted to be asked to speak about my lifestyle, which is a vowed lifestyle as part of a religious congregation, the Dominican Sisters. I have to admit that even though I've lived this life for going on 60 years, um, the reflection, the prayer, the contemplation that I engaged in around uh, the question, what, is, what are these vows all about, um, was very productive for my own life, I believe. So here's what I've come up with. First of all, 
A vow is a promise. God made lots of promises in the Old Testament. We have the rainbow as a symbol of one of God's most profound promises, never to destroy the earth by water. Even in our common parlance, a vow is a promise. It's something of a contract, but so much more intense um, and spiritual than that. It's a set of words that have weight and speak out of a sense of self-authority of the person making the vow. We Dominicans, like other consecrated religious, really make three vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. We do not, however, anymore, as we once did, articulate all three of those vows. When a Dominican sister puts her hands, literally, in the hands of the Prioress General and pronounces the vow formula, she mentions only obedience. And that's because, following Vatican II, as we got back in touch with our traditions, our Dominican charism, our lifestyle, as it began many centuries ago, we realized that Dominicans from the beginning embraced poverty and chastity as part of the religious life. However, the only vow they pronounced was obedience. And so we have gone back to that. I recently recalled um, a conversation, actually a second-handed conversation, um, with one of our early, with a sister who was in her early years with us, who did an artistic piece explaining the vows as open-handed, single-hearted, and seeking only God's will. I find that a timeless and apt description of what I believe each of us, in response to a call from God, responds. Open-handed, poverty, not clinging, not clutching, poor in the sense that I become interdependent not only with my own sisters, but within society, particularly with the poor. Single-hearted, a celibate lifestyle, no exclusive relationships, a response to God's love, a chaste lifestyle, as we are all called to, as Christians, within the vowed life. I have to tell a little story here. Um, whenever I think of a chaste lifestyle or of chastity, um, the danger, of course, is that I become so self-focused that I become egocentric, if you will, as Timothy Radcliffe, the former master of the order, said. The goal of chastity is to be just 
single-hearted, to be open to love. Um, in a former life, I was a counselor in, with Catholic Charities in foster care and adoptive and pre-adoptive care. One day I was working with one of my favorite little seven-year-old foster kids. And in the middle of the activity, he turned to me and said, Rose, do you have any kids? <laughs> and I laughed and said, uh, no. Remember, I explained to you earlier that I'm a sister in the Catholic Church and that I have promised God that I will not have my own family so that I can open my heart to all kids and all parents like you. Oh, okay, he said. And we went on. Well, my curiosity got the better of me. And about 10 minutes later, I said to him, can I ask you a question? Sure, he says. Why did you ask me that question about having kids? And he gave me a wonderful compliment. He said, I was just thinking you'd make a great grandma. That's what I mean by being generative. Not in spite of, but because of a vow of chastity. That little guy got it. And I appreciated hearing that he did. Obedience is about seeking God's will. The very word obedience comes from the Latin word ab audiri, to listen. So in fact, if I were really going to model obedience to you, I'd be quiet. I wouldn't say a word because I would need to be listening, which is at the heart of obedience. Let me say what I think obedience is not. Obedience is not the articulation of a Jesus and me relationship, as are none of the vows. Nor is it a simple pledge on my part to live by the rules. Um, as Timothy Radcliffe again says, obedience is not for administrative convenience. Unlike the military, for example, um, religious do not vow obedience so that things run more smoothly and only one person's in charge. The vow of obedience demands of me that I spend my life discerning God's will. I want to share with you the actual words that a woman says and that each of us repeats on a regular basis in making the vow of obedience. It says, I, Rose Miriam Schulte, make profession and promise obedience to God, to Blessed Mary, to Blessed Dominic, and to you, sister, at this point, it would be Rebecca and Gemma, the Prioress General of our congregation, the Dominican Sisters of Springfield, and to your successors, according to the rule of St. Augustine and the constitutions of this congregation, 
I will be obedient to you and to your successors until death. And that because God called me to this life to participate in this way, in the mission of Jesus, the blessing, the grace, the strength, the courage that I need in order to live this life will be there. So vows are not a guarantee anymore that the marriage vows that my parents or that my siblings have made to one another. It demands of me a communal, collegial accountability in the discernment that I make with them around my living out the will of God, but also the living out of the will of God by all of us. It's significant to me in that light, in terms of giving testimony, that the vows we make are public vows. They are done with witnesses of the church, of society, of our family, of our friends. Um, the most recent wonderful experience we've had of that was when our sister Kelly Moline professed her perpetual vows just a couple of months ago. It was a powerful experience, not just for us, but a powerful witness to the church, to our God, to the fidelity of our God, that Kelly is willing to take the risk, to throw her hat in with us, if you will, um, and pronounce perpetual vows until death. That's very countercultural. Even making a commitment, I think we all realize, is countercultural. It's a very radical, strikes to the heart and the root of who we are as human persons, created by God, graced by God, intellect and will, part of creation, and yet feeling called. So our vows are both public and perpetual which is very risky and demands of us an ongoing, not just fidelity, but trust in a faithful God. And here's what Sister Rose says she's grateful for. Thanksgiving, gratitude. I have to say that at this point, I'm grateful to have made it this far. I have to give the testimony that I have never regretted having been called to religious life. And, and my prayer is always that I will become more and more grateful with my sisters for the life. Thank you, sisters, for sharing your answers in the first Flowcast Ask Me Anything episode. If you have a question you like answered, Visit flowcastlisten.org to tell us about it. Maybe you will hear your question answered in an episode of Flowcast next year. Happy Thanksgiving to all our Flowcast listeners from the Flowcast team and me. Stay blessed.